0: What I want to share about is, is this. Here we have, uh, we have God who has, from the beginning of the Bible to the end, a story that's all about saving the world, bringing salvation. Not just the world, but to the whole universe he's going to save. And guess what? He's called us to be his sidekicks in saving the world and rescuing the whole thing. And We are these average, ordinary, everyday superheroes trying to save the world, but never really sure. And those original slides, the mix of superheroes and just regular people in the church that serve the church. We don't go, you know, we're not this crime fighting, crime busting Justice League that swaggers around and looks for evil criminals and and, you know, looks for things going afoul. We're doing it in ordinary, average, everyday ways. And those people are doing it by serving the church as, as many of you are. And this is, this is our life. The average, ordinary, everyday superhero. God is Batman out to save Gotham City, out to save the whole universe. And we get to be Robin. Okay, what? Could you pick a better superhero to be the sidekick to than God? And he's gonna—he's drawn us into his rescue mission, and yet we feel this odd tension because God's drawn us into his rescue rescue mission, and he's given us supernatural powers, but we're not—we don't quite have the superhero thing down. You know, you remember I don't know if you remember the some of the uh opening the after Spider-Man gets his spider bite and his super spider powers and he's trying to figure out how to be a Spider-Man, how to be Spider-Man and he's got his web-slinging concoction, he's testing out and and he falls off a building and plummets and it looks like he's going to die but at the last minute he pulls himself out and then he's swinging wildly out of control through the streets and you know, barely pulling himself together. Well, that's kind of where we're at, sometimes we have these supernatural powers and a supernatural and a, and a and unusual abilities, and we don't quite know how to use them yet. Or Neo in the Matrix, Neo downloads his you know martial arts routine, and he's performing at black belt levels and doing things that makes our normal black belts just uh, it makes them look like a poorly choreographed TV show, and and he's doing amazing things. And then he throws himself off the edge. <sighs> and then all of a sudden he's falling flat on his face. And, and you, when you're trying out your superpowers, it's embarrassing. But, you know, I, I think it's probably going to be even more embarrassing sometime to never try him out, to never try to accomplish anything super. Super. To never try to accomplish anything beyond your average, ordinary stuff without the superhero part. And that's why I love these, these movies and we love superheroes and, uh, this has been a part of, this whole idea has been a, a, an integral part of my life and our mission in Kazakhstan. Now, Paul gets at this also. He says in 2 Corinthians, 4, 6, and 7. He says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Let's pray. Lord, I just pray that you would make me a Useful clay pot here this morning that you would show your power that your power would shine through me through what I share here. That it would be clear, Lord, that it's your power and that it's not from me. And that in fact, you have, you are drawing every one of us to be Yes, common, average, ordinary, everyday human beings, but also superheroes to to be on a rescue mission for this world. And we call you to stir that up in us today, Lord Jesus. Stir it up. Stir it up in our hearts. Amen. Now, I'm pretty sure that what the Holy Spirit was prodding Paul to communicate in the thing about the treasure in clay pots is, uh, the contrast between the, the container and the contents. Okay. Container clay pot. Now we don't use, I I think we probably don't get a good idea for what clay pots are used for because we don't use clay. We use cardboard and plastic and, and, uh, aluminum and things like that these days. But, uh, Back then, you know, clay pots. Well, you know, we know we, the ladies carried water to the well and things on clay pots. And they put oil in clay jars and in the Bible. and But you also know that in an ancient walled city without plumbing and under a mosaic law that required um, disposal of waste and human waste and animal waste outside the camp, that they had to get outside the camp somehow. They had to get outside the city wall somehow. And they had to carry that out to the to the pit In fact, that's the model of of the burning fire. Uh, They had to carry it outside the city and throw it in in a dump for refuse. And I'm betting that happened in clay pots. So clay pots got used for a lot of things. And somehow we have, okay, so we have the clay pots. That are very ordinary, very basic. You don't get any much less glorious, much less normal, much less ordinary than clay pots, cardboard, plastic stuff. I mean, okay, let's face it. We don't call, the toilet isn't called the pot today for nothing. And, uh, you don't get much more ordinary than that. Yet, we have this treasure, this amazing treasure that's dumped into ordinary clay pots. It's the experience of the kingdom of God in our present life. It's this learning to walk in the power of the kingdom, and yet we're still just really ordinary human beings. Now, my simple paraphrase of this passage, this Second Corinthians passage, would be something like this. God takes the most common regular people... And by opening their spiritual eyes and drawing them into his presence, he fills them with supernatural knowledge and abilities such that anyone could see that those powers don't come from this ordinary person. Okay? I think that's what he's saying. Average, ordinary, everyday superheroes. That's who we are. That's what we're called to be. That's our life. And I want to spend the rest of my time um, sharing Maybe modeling that for you or struggling with you or suffering with you about how that worked out in our ministry uh, among Muslims in Kazakhstan, our attempts to plant churches there. Now, I met Rishat, who's going to be the main character of my story. All of these stories are about Rishat because he, my interaction with him, my relationship with him is just such a case study of God's persistence, God's pursuit, and my being there just occasionally to Be a sidekick. You know, do my part. little part. But I met Rishat not because I was being a successful missionary, but actually really because I wasn't. We were desperate. We had moved. Our family was desperate. We had moved five times in 12 months. Uh, We had our youngest one was not eating or sleeping well. And that means mom and dad aren't eating or aren't sleeping well at least. And... We were homeschooling, but tried to homeschool with five moves uh, in a year, and we'd missed a whole year of homeschooling, and our church planning strategy was going nowhere okay we're, you know a month un, a month to pack and a month to unpack and set up and it, you know that's ten months of twelve gone right there uh, out of your move so we were doing nothing, and we knew we needed to do something to change the moving, just if, if nothing else for our family. So we came up with this, uh, really the only the option that seemed reasonable and good to us was to, uh, build, buy some property outside the city where it was really cheap and build a really cheap house because in that economy in Kazakhstan in 1999, labor and things were very cheap. So, okay, let's do this. Rishat was one of the People that I hired for the building project And I don't recall in that six month time Any particularly significant conversations with Rashad Any spiritually significant conversations with Rashad But when we moved into the house After it was reasonably done My wife might debate reasonable there But um, uh, Rashad helped us move and, And all of the people that helped us move Were just amazed at how many books we have Now my wife and I are both physical therapists. We're medical professionals. So, okay, one reason to have a lot of books. That's your medical knowledge. Now, we're also homeschoolers. So, another reason we have a lot of books. And we're also missionaries. So, we also have a lot of books. Because we're learning language and then we have all the theological and other kinds of things. So, we have a lot of books. And then we have um, books in a lot of different languages, too. So, Rishat. Probably the only one, the only title that he could read in the whole thing was the Uyghur Children's Bible that was, that I had cleverly uh, arranged in some of my books. And he approached me about it a couple of days later and he said, Can I borrow that book? And I was like, Hmm, let me see. Um, yeah, of course you can borrow this book. I've got 12 more of them. I, you know, I didn't say that. I was like, Yeah, I, th- I think I can probably find another one of those and I've got 12 more in a box somewhere. Because we're using for outreach, right? So he borrows the book, he devours it, comes back, he says, Tom, I've got to read more of that stuff. Th- those stories about the prophets, about the prophet Jesus, those were great stories. I've never heard these before. Why, you know, Jesus is in the Quran, but why don't they tell us about this? And I'm like, okay, well, I think I got something else. And at that time, all that there were uh, of the Uyghur Bible was a. Um, you know four or five books in in a portion, and so I gave him that again, uh, assuring him that I could probably find another one that I could part with my own copy and probably find another one and um, so he felt good about getting it and a few days later, I walk into a conversation between him and another Muslim man, and <laughs> Rishash is witnessing to this other Muslim guy about Jesus and about how great. Jesus is and how great these Bible stories are about Jesus. And he's just overflowing and he's saying, Wow, he says I want to find a group of Uyghur men who are following this Jesus and, and who are worship worshiping him and I, I want to be a part of a group like that. And um I'm thinking in the back of my mind, Hmm, I guess I need to blow my cover. Because I was we were not legal, legal missionaries, we were I was doing kind of uh, the undercover Muslim evangelism thing, and so a few hour, a few hours later, I blew my cover with Rashad and invited him to my prayer meeting with a couple of other Muslim man, men who were um, followers of jesus and he wasn 't near as enthusiastic as I thought he would be, which I was disappointed about so uh Okay, so we, I go about life and do my meetings with the other guys, and a few weeks later, I, I'm driving out, driving around, so we're in the area where the meeting's gonna happen, and I see Rishat standing on the street, hitchhiking. And now, if you, if you get this mo- move, you can translate that into this, in about ten different languages. So, this is hitchhiking. Rishat's doing this on the street. I stop and pick him up, hey, where are you going, what's up? he said hey i'm just getting off work i'm heading home i said well how about if you uh, remember that meeting that we talked about with the with the followers of jesus the men who follow jesus the prophet jesus he said oh yeah yeah i said well we're going to do that in about a half hour 45 minutes here would you like to join us and he said yeah sure i'll go he said but i got to go home and change my clothes first cuz if we're going to pray i got to be clean so um and that's a strong Muslim thing. So I took him home. We were a little late for the meeting. And really, quite frankly, the meeting was very forgettable. Uh, for me, anyway, it was, it was yeah, I, I've been in some good prayer meetings and some bad prayer meetings. And those are the more memorable ones. And then there's the in-between ones. And what was unforgettable, though, was Rashad's response in the car on the way home. He said, Tom, my heart has never felt so light or clean. He says, this is great. When can we do this again? He says, do you do do this often? I said, yeah, we're going to do it again next week. You want to come? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll be there. And so, you know, God just swept him in. God just swept Rashad into the kingdom that way. Now... The next story about Rishat is is a couple of years later actually and Rishat had been a faithful member of our fellowship And uh, I think there I got a picture of them maybe up there um, Doing baptisms with somebody else. Rishat's the guy on your left. I think uh, Coming up from being baptized And yeah, there he is doing baptisms with some other guys and he had gotten... Uh, I'll just try to make this quick because it, it's just ugly no matter how I tell it and and it's a good place to cut time. But um, he got married and he'd already been married twice and he got married to a non-believing gal against my advice and of course they didn't have a common language. Uh, minor problem communication. And he, there's understandably frustrations and Rashad had drank before he was a believer and I'm, and wife beatings endemic there. And of course things didn't go well. And he drank, got drunk and beat up his wife. And I heard about this and, uh, had a talk with him and, and the talk didn't go well. Um, he was, I was, I was disappointed to hear that he was drinking and even more disappointed to hear that he was beating his wife, but I was irate when he blamed his wife for him, him getting drunk, I, you know, and yeah, I hadn't taken my conflict management courses yet, and so um, I I did some things and said some things that I may not have today, but um, it kind of heated up a little bit, and and um, I said, you know, sarcasm. I said, uh, so did she hold you down? And force the bottle in your mouth and make you drink it, Rishat. And of course, what could he say? He's, he's not going to admit. Even if she did, he wouldn't admit it. But um, not a Muslim man being overcome by his wife. Um, anyway, no. And then he made some other excuses, and and I just became really something. Somehow, I knew like that. The guy needs to wake up. He's he's in a fog. He's asleep. And of course, you know. Um, my gentle, demure nature. I grabbed him by the front of the shirt and took him and I slammed him up against our metal fence. And I took him and I pulled him away and I slammed him up against it again. And he looked at me. And, and we had a calm conversation after that. And, and he wasn't really any danger for me. He's younger than me and bigger than me. And, um, so, Anyway, we parted our ways and actually he came back to me a few hours later and thanked me um, for doing that. What he described w- was, it was almost like an exorcism. He said, Tom, I woke up and it felt like something lifted off me and left me when you threw me up against the fence. I can never feel good about that one, guys. Um, but anyway, okay. So, Rishats against the wall. And he stayed away from the alcohol for a few months anyway. I don't know whether I scared it out of him or cast something out of him or what. never really sure. But um, a few more years had passed and things had not gone well for Rashad. They'd gone from bad to worse. His wife, his wife it, had, the marriage had struggled and oh, a real heart-wrenching incident happened. And all the money he saved, his wife gave to his sister-in-law and that just broke it right there. They'd, he'd saved money to heat their house with coal for the winter. And it, it, that, just, that was the end of their marriage, basically. And the wife went to the neighboring, went back to her neighboring country and took his new son with him. And Rishat, his health was not good anyway, and it was uh, failing. Now, I was sitting at my home. That's Rishat's son that uh, I did his baby dedication for him. In my little Uyghur hat there. And, uh, I was sitting around the table with my family, uh, trying to enjoy an evening of peace. It's summer. I just, you know, had some really great watermelon, a nice big meal, and, and then I'd get this really frantic hammering on our gate. And I could tell by the, by the urgency of it that it was somebody with a problem. Either that or somebody was being really demanding. And, so I'm going out thinking, ah, can't the world just stay saved for a minute, for, for 10 minutes while I eat my dinner, finish my dinner. And I get to the door and these, I recognize the two little girls at the door and they're hysterically crying. And I had to calm them down and try to sort through the language. They didn't even know what language to talk to me in uh, when they were hysterical. And I, I get bits and pieces of, of Rishat, can't breathe. So, you know, okay, you know, put on the superhero cape, and I'm running up the road a half mile with a tummy full of watermelon sloshing around, uh, trying to save the world again, Uh, gets back in jeopardy all the time. And I get there, and Rashad is turning from red to purple. He's incoherent, and I'm on the wrong end of the healthcare system to really know what to do with that. I'm not on the emergency care side. I'm on the getting them out side. I'm on a rehab professional. And so I'm kind of stuck, and his family is there panicking. And I'm not I'm out of my element already. And their panic is creeping on me, creeping up on me, and my thoughts are fragmented, in and out of a fog uh, you know, gosh, what do I do? The hospital, should I go get my car? The hospital. I know the ambulance won't come getting in, get him in our neighborhood. We've already been through that. Uh, should I go get my car? Do we have time? Am I going to kill him? If I go get the car, is he going to suffocate before I get into the hospital? Am I going to kill him with my own indecision here? Okay. Uh, and this time Rashad wakes me up. He, he, he just kind of, groans out, Tom, pray. Oh yeah, yeah. All over it. All over it. So, um, I just, okay, there, there we are. A room full of Muslims who don't believe in Jesus. One Muslim that does and me. And, I'm, first thing that hits my mind is, oh God, your name's on the line here. If, you know this is my buddy he he may be dying right now and that bothers me but it also bothers me that if you don't touch him our ministry in this neighborhood's toast we're done cuz they're going to say this guy talking about this Jesus prayed for him and he died anyway so anyway okay let's forget about it let's let's trust god I put my hand on his chest prayed real simple three things god Calm his breathing, open his airways. God stopped his infection because I got some groans and mumbles out about his um, jaws being infected. His teeth were really rotten. His jaws were infected and swollen up, his, swollen up his airways, and that was fairly visible to me. And I asked for it in the name of Jesus, right in front of this whole Muslim family, and I just waited. And of course, you know, 25 seconds seems like eternity. So I don't know if it was 25 seconds or two minutes. Probably longer. And Rishat, color starts coming back. Comes back to consciousness. Starts talking. And he starts giving testimony to his family about how, how he just um, escaped death and everybody's sight the family's just okay you know the adrenaline uh the adrenaline that was in the room there and they're, cause they cuz they are panic and they were full of adrenaline before i even got there and and all of a sudden this all this adrenaline just goes into this giddy talk this giddy chatter and everybody's laughing kind of uh nervously but it's just the adrenaline run off and, and we're so psyched to see Rashad doing better. And I come back to check up on him a couple of days later, and uh, the daughter, the, his niece, who was totally nowhere spiritually, his niece was a friend of my daughter's, and my daughter tried to witness to her nowhere spiritually at all. She comes up to me and says, Tom, we have never seen a prayer answered right before our eyes like that. We've, we do our prayers, we're Muslims, but we've never seen a prayer answered like that. Until you prayed for my uncle Rashad. So, amen. But, you know, that didn't change things for Rashad. He struggled for a few more months and was in and out of the fellowship. But the next story comes a few years later when uh, Rashad's um, farther away from the Lord. He's moved out of our neighborhood. I've lost touch with him. But to finish the story, I need to introduce another person. I need to introduce Gulmira. And Gulmira was a friend of... She's the gal holding the little girl in the picture, in the purple shirt. And she was a friend of another believer. She was still Muslim. and But she was not... We knew from this other believer that she wasn't dead set against Jesus. So we were not um, coping with a lot of the ordinary uh, everyday stresses of living in a low tech, uh, culture. And so we needed house help. And so we hired her a, two or three half days a week to come in and, and help us, uh, not live like pigs. And, uh, she did a great job. She was cheerful and helpful. And we had high hopes that we would be able to witness to her. And we were just so busy and she was so good at what she did. She didn't need a lot of supervision. We just never talked to her. And I sat down with Deanna one night and said, Deanna, You know, Gomera's been working with us for a couple of months now. I haven't said a word to her about Jesus. I said, have you been able to say anything to her about Jesus at all? And Deanna's like, almost nothing, Tom. And we're like, ah. We're just terrible missionaries. You know, this gift that God gives us and we can't even say a word to her. Well, okay, next morning, Gulmira comes in, and she sits us down right away. She gathers us up and sits us down right away. And I was expecting, oh, I need a raise, or, oh, you know, my husband's in debt to somebody, and his creditor is going to come beat him up if you don't help us pay this person off, and I'll work it off for, you can just not pay me until I work it off, or whatever. Um... Some arrangement like that is the kind of thing I was expecting. But she looks at us and she says, you know, you guys haven't said much to me about your faith in Jesus. But I know you believe in Jesus. And I've been in your house. And you guys have such peace and joy in your family. And the love love of God is so obvious in you guys. I want to be a follower of Jesus we're like, oh yeah, yeah, we would have got, got around to that. <laughs> um, so anyway, it's just God. Um, we struggle along and he intervenes and opens her eyes to see the things she needs to see. And he grabs her and saves her. And she t- is attending our fellowship then and growing in the Lord. And Couple, of years, a couple more years later, she comes in again, grabs us in the morning. I'm trying to get out for a run, but she sits, sits us down. She's really excited. This is important. I had a dream last night. Tom, I saw Rashad and his wife in this dream. And they were dressed in shining bright clothing. And they were together and they were in love and they were happy. And I was like, oh, wow, that'd be so neat to see. Uh, could it happen? Really, God? And I heard that, and I was a little encouraged because I'd been out of touch with Rashad, and I go out the door and go off for my run, and uh, here's Rashad walking up the road. So you know, I walk I lengthened my warm up and greeted him, Assal assalam and you know, we do the wishing peace on each other and and the cultural thing, I was just asking about his kids and, uh, which is the appropriate cultural thing to do. It's not a big, it's not, it wasn't a divine insight or anything like that. And so he was telling me about his son, his older son was in trouble with the law and running and a fugitive and, and his older son had been a friend of my older son. They'd played soccer together when they were kids and stuff like that and when they were younger and, and his youngest son, I said, well, what about Elyar? What about the little baby boy? that i dedicated a few years ago that's with your wife in the neighboring country and he said ah and he waves his cell phone at me he said my wife just sent me a picture of him i said oh can i see him can i see iliar and he said yeah and he's he's just beaming and okay i look at the picture and you know a little tiny cell phone screen and so what? But I'm really seeing Rishat. And I'm seeing that. Just all this father love. In him. And. Boom. Downloads. From the Lord. And I say. Rishat. Look into your heart. What are you feeling right now? He said. And you know. He didn't answer me. But I knew what he was feeling. Because I feel it all the time. And. And. I said, Rishad, all of the love that you have for your son, Eliar, all of the good things that you want for him, all the happiness that you desire for him, your father in heaven looks at you like that right now. Of course, I couldn't have hit him any harder if I threw him up against the fence again. And um, he didn't have anything else to say. God didn't give me anything else to say. But I said it. And we parted ways. And that was it. And frankly, when I talked with Rishat um, right before we left Kazakhstan about a year ago, he was even farther from the Lord than I've ever seen him. But you guys, I know God is after Rishat. I know it. I mean, these are just a few of the stories. These are just a few of the stories I have about Rashad. I know God's after him, and he's my friend. I love him, and I'm going back there next week, tomorrow, actually, tomorrow night for about two weeks. And one of the things God's put on my heart, he put this on my heart about two months ago to talk about this with you guys, is to get Rashad, is to meet with Rashad. And will you guys take a couple minutes just to pray with me right here for Rashad? I would really be blessed if you do that. Let's pray. Lord, I know you love Rashad. I know my love for him is such a thimbleful compared to your oceans of love. We're such a drop in the bucket. And we say, Holy Spirit, go get him. I don't know where he's living. You do. I don't know what his heart's like right now. You do. I haven't been in touch with him as faithfully as I would like as I could have been. You can, I don't even know where to get his phone number right now, Lord Jesus, but you can put me in touch with him and, um, and I just pray for an opportunity to, to be a blessing to him again and to tell him of your love and to be used as a opportunity to draw him back to you, Lord. If you want to use somebody else, fine, Lord Jesus, use somebody else. I'd be delighted to see that too. And I bless that as well. But Lord, I'm going back there this next couple weeks and I'd love to be used for that if you'd use me, Lord. Amen. Now, we have all of these stories of treasure in clay pots, of divine power working out through very ordinary container, uh, a broken container, a cracked pot. We're all fallen sinners, yet... We're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. We're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We're average, ordinary, everyday superheroes. Okay? We're average and ordinary, but there's something supernatural about us. There's a power in us that we can't deny, and we've got to engage in the rescue mission, in God's rescue mission for the world, because it's what He's called us to do. Now, but we got to do it together. Okay? There's no missions is not about lone ranger superheroes. It's about doing it together. It's the day-to-day believers that get the job done. Year-to-year and generation-to-generation. So, how do we do this thing together? There's a bunch of tables out in the lobby. Maybe you've seen some of them. If you haven't, I would urge you to go talk to the folks at those tables. Those are a local connection for you to have an international impact or even a local impact um, for outreach. This is a holiday time. Thanksgiving's coming coming up. It may be a little short for that. Christmas is coming up. It's a great opportunity to invite foreign people into your family celebrations. Uh, If you're interested in that, talk to me. I can hook you up with people that can get you international students, exchange students to invite. And they would love to be invited into your family's uh, events. Ask God to show you something else. Uh, I'm, I know that God's after you guys. Uh, this is beginning to end in the Bible. His rescue mission for the world, for the universe, is beginning to end in the Bible. I know he's after so, all of you guys, some of you in, in unique, special ways uh, relative to others. But ask God what, God, what do you got for me in this, Lord? And if he's, if he's uh, after you, if he's pressing you or nudging you or whispering something come up and get some prayer while we're gonna we're gonna pray here, right, Ross? You guys actually were gonna come pray for me, and that'd be kind of a good time to sneak in. You don't have to be conspicuous because there's gonna be be people up here praying. And I think they're gonna do uh, the song here, and um, okay.
1: Just gonna, we're going to do something different. If you want, if you'd like prayer, you know, uh, as Sean begins the song, I'd like him to share a story about his week that also illustrates God just using him in a simple way. You know, this whole thing about friends with faith. We started off with a verse, jars of clay, holding this wonderful power of God. And even between services, I had a guy come up to me and say, you know, I just don't know if God can use me. I don't know. If... And then he told me story after story of how God was using him. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? uh, He he says we're jars of clay because he realizes that's who we are. And yet he says, I still, for each and every one of you, you don't have to prove me to anyone. I put myself in you and I will prove who I am. So just risks like we heard in his stories or risks like Sean's going to share in his story, that's what God's calling us to do as friends with faith, just ordinary people allowing God to make divine appointments each day for us. So, why don't you Sean, go ahead and tell your story. Why don't you, if you want, if you'd like to pray for Tom and his trip, why don't you come? If you're touched by something in the message or by the call and you'd like somebody to pray, come and join us as we pray for Tom. Then we'll pray for you as well. And Sean will dismiss us when we're done. Yeah. This week I got a unique opportunity and uh, met with a family that was dealing unfortunately with cancer and helped them get their paperwork filled out. the insurance policies and things of that nature. And I was clearly done with that, got up to leave, and the Holy Spirit literally sat me back down and I said, can I pray for you in their house? And uh, it took about a minute for the gentleman who had just gushed into tears to tell me, yes, you can pray. I I didn't know if he was going to say yay or nay, Um, but God showed up in a huge way. And it was such a blessing to me to even be sensitive to that situation.